Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Ms. Melissa Fromm. How are you, Melissa? I'm doing good. How are you, Tyler? I am good. Thanks so much for coming on. Again, I always joke. I start every episode the same way. So Calgary, we met through somebody who met, and I actually had the opportunity to, I think last minute, I was a fill-in, actually. I take that. I don't, ta- I don't say that as a, I was the second choice, maybe third or fourth choice, um, for an event that you guys had done with some amazing uh, women I know around their business and their success. And I met you guys through that. And I'll be candid. You are the president and CEO at Junior Achievement Southern Alberta. Or, do you say Junior Achievement or do you say JA? Oh, we're really in a time of transition. So we, <laughs> we're a 60, we've been around for 62 years in the city of Calgary and we are junior okay. achievement. And then a few years ago, okay. our, our global office rebranded. And because we're in 120 countries, junior achievement doesn't translate in every language. And so uh, okay. in different countries, we were called different things. And um, they really wanted to be like a Coca-Cola where when you are in France or Germany or Canada, you order a Coke, you get a Coke. And so they changed us to JA, but JA means different things in different languages too. And so in some countries, it's laughter. And in other countries, it's the word yes. (laughs) So we're rebranding right now. Um, and we're going back. I, I'm good with either team. of those. Like, if this is an episode <laughs> on laughter on a Friday morning, like, I think you and I are good. So, here's a quick question Do you say, do you still say Dairy Queen or do you say DK? Oh, good question. I always say Dairy Queen. <laughs> I think I'm like old school. Uh, well, you and I, we chatted earlier about age, which we're, not gonna, which we're clearly not going to get into on this episode. Um, but yeah, I grew up with Dairy Queen. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm like no, no, no. DQ, DQ, DQ. So I didn't even get the acronym right. In my mind, it's still Dairy Queen. And I'm like, oh, you trendy branding marketing people with your DQ. Um, I know, hey. Anyways, well, I, 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 I digress. Um, I can't even spell it right, so clearly I'm not saying it. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys are all about. I'm going to pivot away from that. Edit, note, to, note to editor, please take that up. Um, 
Tell me a little bit, you 62 years, I grew up knowing of you and then I kind of stopped knowing of you. And I'm just being honest of my own journey and that's yeah. part of why I wanted to have you on the show to really tell the story. But you put 120 people in the room, everybody was engaged. I was like, whoa, okay, wait a second. Just because this was off my radar yeah. clearly doesn't mean anything in the world of the fact that it, you guys are a going concern as far as organizations. So maybe just give us, let's, let's reset the platform for what people know or don't know about Junior Achievement. Yeah, so we're not like DQ's competitor. We don't sell ice cream. Um, I'm impressed actually even <laughs> that you know about Junior Achievement from your own upbringing. Like I don't, I didn't. Um, but so we are the world's largest youth serving organization dedicated to educating young people on financial literacy, work readiness and entrepreneurship. Um, we really have our roots in the United States where we were started um, 104 years ago. Um, teaching entrepreneurship and our flagship program is called company program where we bring groups of high school students together over 18 to 20 weeks they gather weekly and they start a company they go right from ideation to product development or service development they sell shares they establish their company they make money and then they divest um, so that's kind of what we were that's kind of our heritage program that we're really known for but today in a modern context we serve 95% of our students through our financial literacy and work readiness programming that happens in classrooms across the province. And so we're right in classrooms working alongside educators and students, teaching them the basics of earn it, save it, spend it, invest it, share it. Um, and just how money and, and how, how commerce, because money is such a ubiquitous term. We were chatting before you hit record about things like blockchain and crypto. And, and, and so even the definition of, of money and income is a little <laughs> bit liquid these days. It's a little flexy. <laughs> it absolutely is. Talk to me a little bit about your, how long is the, you said kind of your core and your stable program was your entrepreneurship program. Was it always called an entrepreneur? Because I've, I've had a lot of guests on and when mm -hmm. I was going through school, if you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, it was like you'd get sent to remedial class because <laughs> you're like, no, no, you need to pick a career. Oh. You need to be a doctor. Or you need to be, yeah. you know, pick, pick the, the top five, whatever they are. Uh, was, has it always been called an entrepreneurship program? Was it, I'm going to be boldly say, it feels like you guys were ahead of the curve on what has now become yeah. a very popular word. A hundred percent, a hundred percent we were. Um, you know, I, I couldn't say for sure what, what they called it a hundred years ago. Maybe they just called it business ownership, but I can tell you absolutely like for the better part of the last 50 or 60 years like I can actually look at um like business plans and reports from our organization when we were started 62 years ago and it was entrepreneurship um and you know totally to what you were just saying about look when I was in high school I literally don't even think I knew anyone who would want to be an entrepreneur it was almost kind of like <laughs> Maybe if you're like super unemployable, I guess you could just start your own business. Um, but there's a totally. study. That was very much the stigma. That's a stigma. I grew up around it as well. I grew up in a rural community. So a lot of, there's a lot of people that ran their own businesses, but they were called farmers or truckers <laughs> or, or yeah. the guy who owned the local um, supply shop where you bought your nails and your two by fours. Nobody called them entrepreneurs ever. Like I definitely, oh, that word was not part of it. And arguably if I look back, everyone was self-employed. Because yeah. that was just the way it was in a rural environment, but it wasn't wasn't the trendy entrepreneurship word. <laughs> no, well, and it's so interesting because a couple of months ago, our counterpart in the United States did a study with youth across the United States and found that 60% of high school students thought entrepreneurship was a viable career. And I looked at that and thought, wow. that's really interesting. How does that translate to Canada? I wonder if we have similar statistics. Well, lo and behold, we do. An organization called Global Enterprise Monitor 
did a study a year ago. So if this is fresh data a year ago across Canada, and they found that like over 70% of young people across Canada don't only see entrepreneurship as a viable career, they see it as a great, a great career choice. And then it gets even better because then we know that we have this little thing in Alberta, this little spark of entrepreneurial spirit or Alberta advantage for the old like Ralph Klein lovers who yep. like, <laughs> it just, it's just part of the genome of our province. Young people in Alberta, 85% of young people in Alberta, the entrepreneurship as a great career choice. Um, so that, that, that is, is a staggeringly, that's a staggeringly high number. That's a staggeringly high number. I love it. And I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, I'm just, I'm processing it right now to be totally yeah. candid. And so you and I were chatting and ventures is happening right now as we're recording this. Now we're talking about the current, but it's going to be in the past soon. It's like some weird time warp conversation, but you and I were talking about just the, the, the Alberta feels like we're on fire right now. There's just yeah. buzz. There's thousands of people at this event at 3000 tickets. Some of the numbers I've heard, but I was, I, I stuck my head into a few talks and there still was a very big reality on the fail rate of startups and the fail rate of these new ideas. And I feel like I'm setting you up for your program, but this question is kind of setting you guys up. But if 85% of people think this is a vile option, is our school system giving them the tools? Because if that's what 85% of people want to do, we can't have 85% of them failing. Like, sorry, 85 of 85, like you yeah. know, X amount of yeah. startups fail in the first five years. Are we putting the right things in place? Clearly, that's what your curriculum does. But when you look in it, you see the gaps. That's pretty exciting, but that can also be like kind of building a bomb if we're not setting them up for success with the right, not only education, but there's an infrastructure that needs to be there to support that kind of, you know, what used to be called reckless behavior. Now it's the trendy thing to do, which I, lo I love, oh, but right. I just want to touch on the reality of the failure rate. Those two things could crack each other really quickly. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have two streams of thought on that. So, so the first one is, I mean... When we're talking about when we're talking about anything in life, but let's especially when we're talking about entrepreneurship and business, there's failure and then there's failure. Like there's catastrophic failure. Like I've declared uh, bankruptcy. Okay. I've I've remortgaged my house. I, I can't afford groceries. And then there's like I tried a thing. It wasn't quite right. I need to tweak it. I need to regroup and do something different. Um, and and I think you know we have to kind of categorize those things differently. And, and I think entrepreneurs who those who are just really innately entrepreneurial, they just do that. They just, they're okay with it when they're like, oh yeah, my business went under. And you know, my, my visceral reaction, they're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? That's terrible. And they're like, oh, that's okay. I'm going to start another one. Um, and, and, and that's okay. And I, I think we have to be a, a, a little bit okay with that, especially as a province, when we're trying to create this ecosystem that supports entrepreneurship, that's going to happen. Um, then on the, on the flip side of your question, like sort of the second thing that my mind goes to in terms of how are we better preparing people for this and how do we equip them for this? Education is one piece of the ecosystem, but there's a lot, I think, that we need to do to create an environment that enables entrepreneurial success. And I think about, um, like for, for us, again, coming back to being part of a global network and having the opportunity to go to other jurisdictions, other countries, to see how they're doing junior achievement, but also how that interfaces into their entire ecosystem. And for me, one of the examples that I've had the, the opportunity to go and visit is Sweden, where they, their education is federal. And so um, it's a little bit different, but I think you can still sort of impose that onto our provincial model in Alberta. Um, okay. Junior achievement is infused into the classroom, particularly at that high school level entrepreneurship programming 
in every classroom in Sweden. Every single high school student does a one semester entrepreneurship credit. Like it's, it's like reading, arithmetic, writing, entrepreneurship. It's just in there. And if you look at some of the innovation that has come out of Sweden, they are not only do they have that in their education, but it's part of a bigger um, economic plan for their country. And they have tax, they have tax incentives for investing in entrepreneurship. They have tax invent incentives for starting small businesses. Um, and I think as a province, we need to start looking at it a little bit more holistically and, and sort of saying like, yeah, we need this education piece. We need to make sure that we're giving students, and you know, not every high school kid's going in Sweden grows up to be an entrepreneur either. But I bet you those students that have that entrepreneurial mindset of innovation and change and creativity are better employees in a factory, in a corporation, at the train station, <laughs> wherever they're working. Um, because they have that base entrepreneurial knowledge. That is such a, and Sweden has recently just got on my radar for uh, around as being a startup ecosystem and being a place that, you know, mm. I said in the same as like, well, India, Silicon Valley in Sweden. I was like, really? This wasn't on my radar. So I'd be curious. And just for the sake of the conversation, how far we could track back what you're talking about mm -hmm. and then look at, you know, cause we're always predict, we're always planning for the future. Like what is it? You know, uh, Jim Gibson says to me, we're 10 years late to a 20 year plan or oh, when's the it. best time to plant a tree <laughs> 20 years ago? Well, if we haven't, let's plan it today. But I'd be curious, and I love what you said about incentivizing the right behavior, the government mm -hmm. being alongside to put up the right funding and encourage it. But I'm always curious of like, if we went back 10 years ago, was that a harebrained idea <laughs> that is now That's translated a into a future, a future state? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak authoritatively on like the history of, you know, it, you know, was junior achievement a catalyst to that or, or how we played a role in mm -hmm. it. I can tell you junior achievement has been in Canada for almost 65 years. Junior Achievement has only been in Sweden for about 30, I think, um, but okay. a huge focus on that entrepreneurship piece. And really, I think uh, like a, um, a pull, not a push, in that the government pulled them in and said, wait a minute, here's a global solution. This is happening in other countries. We want this entrepreneurship spirit just stamped on our students at the high school level. Um, versus sort of, you know, and, and not that, you know, we're, we're really welcomed into the school system and we have an amazing relationships, but it's not always a pull. Sometimes it's a push. It's us saying, come on okay. guys, you want this. You, you beat me to my next question of like, how is that, how does that conversation unfold from a resistance? And, you know, when you hear something like you just described in Sweden, it makes me slightly envious. And I, I know, I know one inch deep. So I'm now I'm like, wow, that seems like a government that's really thinking beyond their short term, you know, election cycle that is thinking a little bit like if we do this now, 10 years from now, we will reap the reward. We will be able to sit in the shade of this entrepreneur tree that we've created. When you're dealing with specifically the government in Alberta, and are you purely at the at the provincial level, or is it municipal? Is is it always provincial that you guys are having the conversation around when it comes to education? Yeah, I mean, when you sort of look at jurisdictionality, like education is pretty provincial, um, and so yeah, okay, we're dealing yeah. with you know we're either dealing with like Alberta education, or sometimes we're dealing with like job skills and employment, or community services and social services, but that's all provincial. And then at a more local level, we're like usually what I do actually in the month of June in southern Alberta we work with all 27 school boards that exist from like Pinoka right down to like Lethbridge, Crow's Nest Pass to Oyen. Okay. Um, so literally in the next four weeks, I will have 27 meetings with 27 superintendents. And so that's the more local. And so we, we try to kind of get okay. it at all levels. Yeah. 
Interesting. And are you, I'm just curious, are you a road warrior? Are you literally, was that windshield time? You're driving from place to place to place? Or are you zooming it? I'm like, I'm just curious. I'm like, that feels like a traveling salesman right there. (laughs) God bless technology. (laughs) Like there's a lot of zoom calls. There'll be a few, like for sure. Um, you know, if they're, if they're closer to me geographically, um, definitely. I mean, I like to connect face to face. I'm so happy to be out there. I love digital, but it's different. Like there's a value when you sit down with someone for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, the other piece of it is, you know, so we've got that, um, Albert education piece. We've got the superintendent piece. And then we've got like 1,600 teachers from Oyen to Crow's Nest past and Pinocchio to uh-huh. Lethbridge that we're it's connecting your, It's your with. box. You've got a little got, square. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and, and so we've got them as well that we're, we're connecting with and having conversations with. So, um, yeah. So it's kind of, we're trying to kind of hit it at all levels. Ideally, uh, you know, ideally in some ways it'd be nice if, if Albert education would kind of just come along and say, this is what we're doing. This is what um, we're doing. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's this little kind of libertarian part of me that's like, do I really, you know, if, if the government dictates this, then they could also dictate that. And I don't know if I necessarily mm-hmm. want. Yep. No, I, you know, I, I appreciate it. It gives it, it gives it, it takes, it gives it, it takes us away. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 12 years. Of course, I'm a professional creeper. I've got your LinkedIn in front of me. Uh, you have some <laughs> experience with IJM, which is something that's close to my heart, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, it's 12 years. That's amazing. And congratulations on kind of being in the, in, in, in the president CEO seat and what you're doing. What have you seen in that period of time? Like, is it changing? Is it getting better? Is there more pull than push when it comes to the school system? Like you and I talked earlier about like, wow, like the, it feels like there's just a moment right now in Alberta where we're kind of mm-hmm. coming back into, I'm so glad because I'm like, I'm too young to say, remember the good old days. Like I just was not happy. I just didn't want to accept that the last seven years of downturn. Yeah. What have you seen? Is there, a, is there a real shift as we see more startups, we see tech ecosystem, we see venture capital money coming in, which all in my mind tie right back to that big word of entrepreneurship. Is there a trend that you're seeing with JA that's increasing your optimism that there is going to be maybe a bit more pull and push when it comes to getting it into the students, I wouldn't even say hands, but their minds <laughs> into their yeah, minds? Yeah, yeah. You know, definitely 100%. Um, like our organization in the last decade has like almost tripled in our student reach. Um, and, and so, you know, there's been a few things we've seen, um, we've, we've had really great partnerships over the last two or three years, um, in particular with Alberta education. Um, and we're seeing that kindergarten to grade six curriculum, um, some elements of that that are going to roll out in the fall of 2022, and then a few more elements that'll come in 2023. And there's, there's some pieces of entrepreneurship and financial literacy in that K to six curriculum that are like the least contentious elements of that entire curriculum design. And I know, you know, those of us who are listening to, to the public narrative, whether it's on the radio or, or just out and about with friends, there's, there's some contentious pieces to that curriculum. But I have worked with, I have worked with three different political parties, five different education ministers, three different versions of curriculum design, and no one disagrees that financial literacy and entrepreneurship should be in there. Um, I, have I would venture to with, say that's almost impossible in that world to get that kind of consensus. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And I have meetings with, with NDP MLAs and meetings with UCP MLAs and everyone agrees, like, this is important. We need our kids to have this. And so that, you know, that in and of itself, I think, is a huge pull. Um, and so we're going to see financial literacy and, and some elements of entrepreneurship and small business in the K-6 curriculum in the fall of 2022. And so we're really well positioned because we're already working with those teachers, like, we're, we're ready to come in and just be like, here we are, let us help you. 
um, so yeah, so we're definitely starting to see a bit of pull. And, and that's also driven by the fact that in every iteration of curriculum design where there was parental and educator consultation, parents and educators were saying, we want our kids to have this, this learning content. So it's really across the board. Like this isn't just Alberta education saying this is important. It isn't just politicians okay. saying it's important. It's coming from every direction. Um, and I think that's really driven our growth. Like even before the curriculum is coming out in the last two years, we've seen consecutively 20% increase in demand for our programs year over year over year. So we're sitting at in two years, a 40% increase in demand. That's fantastic to hear. One, that level of consensus, which almost feels non-existent in our polarizing. If you say black, I'll oh, say white, or you say left, I'll say right, just for the sake of the, if you're pro-energy, you must be anti-environment anti or vice versa. And like that polarization to hear you've got so much um, agreement is just almost, is almost shocking a little bit, to be honest, like, which is so refreshing. I'm curious, you the K-6 curriculum, the science around, and maybe we're going down a rabbit hole here, but around age and when to bring that in. Like I would have thought kindergarten might have been too young. I don't know why I would think that. No reason except that my ignorance perhaps. But curious around the science of if you look at the different ages and where people at and how you build your curriculum, is there a lot of thinking around like, well, when you're in grade one, we're going to teach you this fundamental so that by the time you're in grade six, you can then build on it to that. Is it done out with that mindset of really staggering where that individual is on their learning journey? Yeah, totally. And, and again, like coming back to kind of our roots as like a, a global leader in this type of education, mm -hmm. uh, over 100 years old in 120 countries, like this isn't, um, this isn't just kind of something we whipped up in Southern Alberta. This is like, you know <laughs> what it. I mean? Like, it's Sorry, really I didn't well mean to. I hope I wasn't implying no, no, no. that. I hope I no, wasn't no, no, implying no. that at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, and, and so <laughs> what we've learned, though, through our journey is about sort of that graduated pedagogy. And I mean, that's really what the fundamental um, pedagogy is in all of our Western education is that like you learn this in grade one and then in grade two, maybe in grade one, you just learn numeracy, like just what are the numbers from one to ten? And then you learn how to add those numbers. And then you learn how to add double digit numbers. And then you learn how to add and subtract. And, and it's really just that graduated pedagogy. And, and we all know from, from just basic pedagogical understanding of like learning a language, learning an instrument, learning a sport, the younger you learn it, the more it is just in your brain and you will succeed. Yeah. Um, and so when we look at you know basic numeracy, digital literacy, financial literacy, work readiness, all of those things, the younger we can start to have these conversations in an age-appropriate way, the more success that individual child is going to have later in life with those skills. And so we, you know, we haven't always done kindergarten and grade one and grade two programming, and it's a little okay. bit new for us as well. But when you look at the content that we're bringing in, um, it's really age appropriate. It's very, a lot of our content is very gamified and interactive. So they play board games, they read mm. stories, um, they, they do little bingo games and things like that, that they're, they're learning the content, but in a really fun and age appropriate way. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, as, as I'm not a parent, and if I was, I'd be like, oh, I would be all over this. I would be your biggest advocate for sure, 100%. <laughs> um, when you look at on the global stage, and I've heard this, I was talking to some, some parents, I was talking to a mom the other day, and she goes, wow, you know what? Our kids are in grade this, but they're reading at this level. They're not, they're behind, and our school system is behind. And she was quite frustrated, and I want to be careful not to get into a commentary on the school system. But when you look at what JA does from a curriculum perspective, and you look at Sweden, let's use that example, someone who's in grade six, is it the same curriculum that they would be exposed to here or does it shift and, and mold a little bit based on kind of what part of the world you're in and where their grade four is compared to our grade four for just a lack of better comparison totally you know 
for the most part, it's consistent. Um, our, our kindergarten program is our kindergarten program. Our grade nine program is our grade nine program. Obviously, there's cultural nuances that are slightly different. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll share a story that exemplifies that. Um, this week, Junior Achievement of Northern Alberta delivered programs to Ukrainian refugee students in Ukrainian using Ukrainian content because we're part of a global network and because the similarities in the in the content and the age group is 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 so significant and there's just it's just so easy for us it was really just a matter of finding someone who could speak Ukrainian and the Ukrainian the Alberta Ukrainian Chamber of Commerce was more than excited to partner with them to facilitate that program and we were able then to bring those Ukrainian youth in and provide them some education in their native language which was so impactful for them um, given everything that they've gone through in the last three months um, but one of the nuances of that was that we have this program that, that they were delivering called economics for success and it's really all about staying in school the differences between the different post-secondary institutions that kids can start to think about wh what is my path? Am I going to a technical institute? Am I going to a coding camp in New York? Am I going to a university? Um, and then how do I budget for that? And what does that cost? Um, and then in this program, we also actually put up a paycheck and we explain to these grade nine students like taxation, employment insurance, um, CPP. It, I, it's my favorite part of the program because these like 14 year old kids are outraged. Like, what's the government doing and taking all that money off my <laughs> I was just going to say, that's <laughs> but, so funny. That's exactly where my head went. I was like, oh, what yeah. the F is going on here? <laughs> oh, totally, totally. <clears throat> but we all experienced that when we were like 14 or 15 and got our first jobs too. And you get your first paycheck and you're like, what? I, I, that's not I what I should I be getting. I still experience it every tax season. <laughs> I feel the same way. But anyway, so I digress. So these, these Ukrainian kids, I mean, first of all, they would have no context for what what those those taxes and um, remittances would be in Canada. But mm. further to that, there's actually a little bit of a social nuance um, in the Ukraine with regards to high school dropout rates and um, employment for youth, where they actually have really high rates of high school dropout in Ukraine because it's not that hard for, uh, um, for them to find unskilled labor jobs and kind of do okay in their society yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if yeah. they're now transitioning into our society and our social mores that's not going to work for them and so it was really important to these ukrainian volunteers who knew that they understood that difference in those in those communities and in, in our economies we need to make sure these kids know they can't be coming here and not getting into school like some of these especially young men like 14 15 year old boys they're, they're mostly coming with fatherless families at this point because the right, fathers yeah. have had to so, stay behind. So, so sad. And these boys are thinking, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to take care of my family. And we're having to come in and, and have this intervention to be like, no, if you're going to take care of your family, you need to stay in school. Um, and so having programming that's global in nature and that, that has that frame of reference for the differences in the economies and to be able to educate young people on that, it's just like another strength of, I think, our global network and, and being able to step in and do that. I really appreciate just you bringing a point to something of like stuff we take for granted is completely you know, like, you know, nothing will, nothing will blow up a relationship like a values misalignment, understanding what we value here around education versus just what an individuals from another culture have grown up. Like, that's just the way it is. Oh, it's, what do you mean? It's no longer like that. It's so easy to say it flippantly in a conversation like this, but when it comes down to like, 
what you've seen and what you've grown up around, like that's a tough thing because you have to unlearn something significant to then make room for that new idea. Uh, it's so easy to just oversimplify and you're like, oh, absolutely. We'll welcome everybody in. It'll just work out. Well, no, yeah. it won't work out unless no. we deliberately put mechanisms in place. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's not absolutely. like, it can't come from a place of judgment too. Like, it's not kind of like, oh, you guys were dropping out of school. Ooh. Like it's really, it can't come from that place of judgment. It's got to come from like, this is one way and this is the other way. And there's not a right and there's not a wrong, but this is, this is what it is here. I really appreciate it. It's just, yeah, ju judging from your perspective, someone else's reality that you have nothing yeah. to know about except a little snapshot, that's problematic on all fronts. <laughs> right, it just doesn't uh, work. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm using my <laughs> reference points to judge your decisions. Like, that's so un unfair until I can at least know what you grew up in. Talk to me a little bit about the organization. And, you know, of course, this is all, we, we. this is a business podcast in one way or another, always about how things impact. How do you guys operate? Because you guys are, and are you guys a non-for-profit NGO? Like, I'm just always curious mm -hmm. of the business models that allow these these initiatives to be successful? Because unfortunately, there needs to be grist in the mill, and often that's a funding model. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so we're a federated model, and, and that's really common in the nonprofit sector. So when you look at like United Way, Habitat for Humanity, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, we're all federated models, which basically means we have like this global head office, and they license the identity and the programming and sort of everything that has to do with sort of the, the brand of the organization okay. um, to like a national office. And then in our case in Canada, then that national office sub-licenses to different provincial entities. And so we have a junior achievement of Manitoba, junior achievement of Saskatchewan. In Alberta, we have okay. a north-south because, you know, we have this Oilers Flames kind of rivalry thing. We do. Going we, we, on. we have this weird border that kind of yeah. cuts, the imaginary border totally. that cuts through the middle. <laughs> Um, about one side of Red Deer or the other, but yeah. <laughs> and then for us in Southern Alberta, we, we operate out of Calgary. We have a head office in Calgary, but we actually have representation in 130 rural communities across Southern Alberta. Um, oh, I grew wow. up, okay. we talked about this a bit earlier, and I, I don't know if I, I sort of informed, you know, you told me you grew up in a farm town. I grew up in a farm town. And I, so it's really important to me that this isn't kind of just something for the city kids. This is important for kids who live in Bicycle. Um, it's important for kids who live in Brooks. It's important for kids who live in Calgary. Um, and then in terms of funding and, and the work we do, we're largely privately funded. Um, we have had a little okay. bit of government funding along the way, typically for specific projects or initiatives. Um, if we're trying something new um, right now, especially with the government pushing towards some financial literacy curriculum in the K to six age group where we've worked really closely with them on that. And they're probably providing us with a little bit of support that we can support the educators who need to do that next year. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like 90 to 95% of our budget each year comes from corporations and individual philanthropists. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Probably funded. I think I just, you, you triggered something. I think it was through, I was in 4-H and I think it was through 4-H oh, that yeah. I was exposed to junior achievement actually. So you just triggered in the way yeah. you're just talking about. <clears throat> that totally I'm makes like, sense because we where, really where are. did I connect? It was, it was 4-H. Yeah, what we're really, like if you look at even the history of when we started and when 4-H started, we started within years of each other and both, both organizations I think were started in Pennsylvania. Um, and we really okay. are like originally, if you really go back to our roots, we were like the urban counterpart to the rural. And so 4-H was originally started because it was really about that intergenerational transfer of the family farm. And like, how, we gotta make sure these kids know how to do this stuff. Um, and Junior Achievement was the intergenerational transfer of 
the corner store, the gas station, whatever those oh, small family run businesses were. Put those were. two beside each other. Oh, very cool. And, and so, and and I think, like, actually, if you go back to the roots, it was started originally. Junior Achievement was started originally by um, someone who was like a um, a business banker, an investment banker, and I think it was almost kind of like a customer service piece, or maybe even a customer. Um, a, a selection and, and retention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Maybe like, started off as a bit of a, of a, yeah. of a, of a, of a content marketing strategy before yeah, it was yeah, ever yeah. called a content marketing strategy. And then it oh, became like this sort of social enterprise that's serving so much more than just that intergenerational transfer now, but actually the creation and innovation and, and um, individual entre entrepreneurship as opposed to just that generational transfer. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, I love a little bit of history because oftentimes they go, oh that makes sense when you look yeah. you know you look back to look forward. Yeah. Just curious and because you're so alongside and and so in lockstep with what's happening in the education and with the educators, how do you see it? that world feels like it's also being disrupted rapidly from technology? And you made a comment about gamification and we touched on crypto and well we got metaverse and Web three and all these things that are coming down yeah. that are disrupting everything. Yeah. But education certainly over the last couple of years feels like it is just sitting ripe for disruption. But no, <laughs> academia is hard to just like, it's, it's, it's an institution. So just curious what you're seeing because you're alongside and it's not like you yeah. guys can go forward and do a whole big, like, we're going to revolutionize and crazy technology, but if it doesn't fit, it won't fit. So there's got to be an interesting kind of give and take along the journey as this whole thing evolves. You know, that's such a great question. And I even have to kind of hesitate to like, make sure I don't have one of those <laughs> moments where I have to call you tomorrow and be like, don't air that. Um, but I mean, for me, I'll, sweet, I, I got it. So you tell yeah. me this is a good question. Excellent. <laughs> I'll step back and I'll say, talk pre pandemic. So if I kind of look back 2019 okay. as an organization, we have a lot of paper based programming. We're going into classrooms and we've got like mm. board games. It's very interactive, but it's very relationship based. But we're starting to have these conversations um, across our network globally, um, but especially in Canada, about digitization and getting a learning management system. And we need to have more online programs. And that's how we're going to reach more students. Um, we felt like we were really behind. But what I started to really recognize when I was having conversations with educators and education administration was if we were behind, they were 10 years behind us. Like... The education in, in Canada in particular, they're not digitally driven. It's just not, okay. not what we're doing. And I mean, we saw that. And those of us who are parents, when March 15th, Sunday, March 15th <laughs> at 3 p.m., when, yes. when Adriana LaGrange and Premier Kenny announced that education would be postponed for the school year, um, teachers, our system, our administrators were all caught with their pants down. How on earth are we now going to take these textbooks, some of which are 30 and 40 years old, and transfer this entirely paper-based learning model that we've been using into an online digital learning model? Um, and, and I mean, they did great. And like absolute credit where credit's due because we were all dealing with global crisis and anxiety and ambiguity and uncertainty and teachers pulled it out of their hat. Like they just figured it out and they figured it out quick. And was it perfect? Probably not. But was it pretty good for what they had and for the resources they were enabled with? Yeah, because they weren't enabled with much. Like it was like, here's a Google platform, go teach. And that's what they got. Um, and they, they did really good. But so now, 
um, you know, fast forward now where we're at today to sort of look at like what they were able to execute on in the spring of 2020 and be like, well, now we have these digital resources. Not really, because what we made do with was nothing to write home about. Like it wasn't anything that was so transformational. That's like, well, great. Now let's just do Google classes. Cause like, I think we've all sat in on like a zoom webinar or some sort of professional development over the last two years where it was like, Hey, sit for three hours and listen to this guy talk about HR. And you're just like, Oh God, after 30 minutes, get me out of here. Well, can you imagine well, you just start doing, doing other things on your other, on your other monitor? Yeah. That's what happens. Look, so yeah. can you imagine doing that if you're an eight year old boy learning that? I, I can't, like, I would have been a disaster. Oh my God, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> and so, and so even now, like I was in a grade four classroom at the beginning of this week and, and the teacher, we were even joking about like, we, we have a presentation and we're putting it up on the smart board and they don't even have a clicker. Like we had to hold the laptop to click through the To slide. push the button, yeah, to push the button. The um, and so I, you know, I, I get really excited about like innovation and change and especially in education. And even for myself, I feel a little bit torn on this. Um, I feel like, was this a, a policy window that we didn't, go through? Was this an opportunity for change that we didn't take advantage of? But the flip side of that is also something really awesome that came out of the pandemic for a lot of us, junior achievement included, was we got the opportunity to try some things and see what worked and what didn't work. And there's a lot of data coming out now post-pandemic on wood. I hope we're post pandemic. Yes. I'm, I'm, that, gonna, I'm with you on that one. hundred percent. We're just going to stick with that. And if we're wrong, okay, yeah. so be it. <laughs> that the academic outcomes, the learner outcomes of digital learning simply aren't there. Like there's a, in pedagogy, there's sort of this okay. idea of like, hear it, see it, write it, say it, do it. And when you're learning in a classroom and you get all of those methodologies, that's when things really absorb. And that's when you get like that long-term learner outcome where it stays with you. Not that like I crammed for a test on Thursday night and by fr Friday afternoon, I'm not going to remember this stuff. Like you want yeah, we, that we, we, deep we've, knowledge. All, we've all had that experience as well. <laughs> yeah. And so, so the data that's starting to come out about learner outcomes through digital learning isn't hugely positive. Um, at, even at the post-secondary level, like not even just with this. Okay, you you are you 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 you've you've got ahead of my thought process. I'm like starting to think about even the the work the work conversation, remote versus in person, and which I don't think is the right conversation. It's like what is the work? What what's the outcome? Does it need collaborative? Does it need your own thinking time? Like the personalization of like this might be very good in one environment versus the other, but we it's hard to do that because we blanket. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't. Well, you should be here for this hour and there. Or this is a good topic to learn using your VR goggles, but this one is much better to be in a classroom side by side problem solving with a team. The challenge is I think there's a lot of nuance to that, but at scale, everything gets blanketed. No, it's all this or it's all yeah, that. And totally. I just don't think that's the conversation. I just don't think it just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and I just like, I, there's, there's some, I've been intentionally seeking out the data on this because we're trying to find our direction forward mm -hmm. that we could reach more students with digital, but if the impact's not there, that's the point. Um, you yeah, know, that's, and, that's and really sort of that point. quantity like over quality. Versus, volume versus depth, right? Totally, yeah, know, totally. Um, and so sure. like just last week, um, there's a, a behavioral economist that I love, Dan O'Reilly, and it's O'Reilly with an A, not O'Reilly. Um, 
Okay. And he's a professor, I can't, like Stanford or something. One of those big ones where you're like, ooh. Somewhere prestigious really with, a good, with a great yeah, yeah, yeah. academic brand. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and behavioral economists are, like, that's like a really rising field. And, and he's been doing this work for, like, decades. Um, but that's where you get that kind of meshing of the um, left brain, right brain, kind of, of like, how do people think and what makes them buy Coca-Cola over Pepsi and all those types of things. And I do you love, as a marketer, I love that stuff. I can yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll yeah. love this guy. You will, you'll okay. subscribe to his newsletters for sure. Right. Um, and so, then so he pulls list. in it's my, it's one of my takeaways, key takeaway. And then he pulls in like the, the economic side of it, of like, okay, if people think this way and this is why they do these things, then what do we do to like monetize that or how does that affect the economy and how does that affect decisions and purchasing and all that stuff? And, uh, and he has long been an advocate in his institution that he doesn't want to teach online classes because of this. And then he just did an article on LinkedIn a, a week or two ago and basically was like, see, told you so. <laughs> And, and the great thing about it's it fair. is he's backing it up with all of his institutional data that now they've gone through two years of online learning at the post-secondary level. And he's like, this didn't work. This was a really bad experiment. So interesting. So, I mean, not to say that it's never going to work and not to say that maybe... It feels a bit like that genie's out of the bottle, though, a little bit, to a certain extent, because people... Yeah, there, it's a, like anything. There's some weird, messy middle, right? There, there yeah. isn't like this is perfect or that's perfect. There's always this. And then, well, geez, what about my own biases and the way I learn? And something just happens to work for me, which might not work for you, the person sitting right totally. beside me, virtually yeah. <laughs> in the other room or totally. in the other or, or in the other country, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, even for us, then organizationally, we're having to sort of take that step back and look at it and say, well, shoot, now what? Because we kind of pre-pandemic been just like aiming at this like we've got to do digital we've got to do digital now we're kind of going okay let's let's keep doing that let's make sure we have that in our offering but that's no longer the silver bullet that we thought it was going to be so yeah so we're kind of having to, re having to regroup a little bit and, and sort of look at different opportunities and different models well, you know, rapidly digitizing something isn't digital transformation. Like they are very different <laughs> yes. and not really truly understanding the problem. We can't be in a classroom, so we solve it by putting it online. That's not really transformation. We just took a textbook and scanned it in. Like I'm oversimplifying, but, no, but I find that those happens. two get inter yeah. they get interchanged really quickly. Oh, it were, it's digital. I'm like, well, what is it? Are you just digitizing a, an analog process or did yeah. you really think through? And that takes a lot more work. It Whether it's a customer journey or a student journey, it's all just a journey that you're having. And somewhere there's a human involved, yeah. right? Let's, we can't forget that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think too, like that it's, um, I mean, not, I don't want to say fail fast, but don't stop innovating. That like, in, even with Albert education. Well, back to and, our entrepreneurship, you know, to circle back to the beginning. Yeah. Did you lose everything and you're on the street or did you be like, whoa, that didn't work, but you know, okay, I was smart. I mitigated my risk. I came out unscathed and I learned and I'm going to do my next adventure. That's yeah. a different failure than I, than I, than I mortgaged the farm. I lost the farm. I bet the farm on the, on this, on this, on this crop that didn't, that didn't work out. Those are life defining failures versus, you know, life, life enabling failures. Very different. <laughs> Very totally loosely different. defined on my part too. <laughs> and it's good. And I mean, we teach entrepreneurship and, and these ideologies and it's so good for me to remind myself that we have to embody that sometimes. And like yesterday I was, I, sat in on a round table <laughs> with um, the Calgary Chamber of Commerce and it was all about the city of Calgary's new social justice framework 
And so it was a lot of folks who are more in like the social work space and then kind of in the mm. political space. And how do yep. we how do we tackle these social justice problems? And the end of the conversation, everyone's kind of talking about their takeaways. And I'm like, well, you know, we have to be OK to fail. And like we have to recognize there might not be an end state like this might be a constant innovation and we might get it wrong sometimes. And I think like it's sort of funny because that's the world we live in at Junior Achievement. It's like, oh, you failed. That's OK. Like. Our most successful graduates probably did horrible in our program, but they learned <laughs> and, and they were able to take that on into their business and, and into their lives. And I think about like being in a room with people who are just working in a space that's like, we cannot fail. Like, it has to be right right. the first time. We talk about (laughs) failure pretty, like, we talk about failure, we try to, like, we talk about it fairly loosely, but there's a lot of individuals like, oh, yeah, no, I'm okay to fail until it hits you. Yeah. And if you're not, you know... That's, that's a whole level of personal development and understanding the, am I worthy? Am I good enough? And you get into the layers of what actually makes you feel secure enough to fail. That's way totally. more complex than just flipping off the word failure. <laughs> it, it, well, and, you know, and it's super complicated if you're in like, either the startup space or the nonprofit space where you're dealing with other people's money. Like when a donor comes to you and says, I'm going to give you $50,000 to run a program for high school students to teach them banking, or I'm going to give you $50,000 to start your startup to build software platforms and you fail, you have to go back to that other person and say this, I failed, but you also need to be able to say, but this is what we learned and this is how we're going to make it better. And then they as a funder have to be okay with that. Like there has to be some acceptance and comfort with failure on their part. And that can be really challenging. I think, especially I think of us in the nonprofit space when we're meeting with donors and having those conversations, um, there's oftentimes we're driven by metrics and sometimes driven more by outputs than outcomes even. How many students did you reach? How many classrooms were you in? And you know, sometimes the most impactful programs are not gonna be the big numbers. Like when we go into a classroom in Sutina and there's only nine kids in the classroom, that can still be a really impactful learning experience, but it's only nine kids. I, I love that paradigm that you just presented, like as a marketer, how many impressions did we get? I'm like, well, how many people actually engaged with you? How many people called you up after and said, hey, I want to learn about your service product or yeah. opportunity? No, but we got a million impressions. I'm like, but who cares if it didn't cares. result in anything, <laughs> except maybe yeah. a bunch of noise. And that's a tricky balance because we get, we're really addicted sometimes to the wrong numbers. And often those are big numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love what you said about it. it makes me want to go start a podcast called Other People's Money. Just for some reason, I'm like, that's such a powerful concept because you're right. It is. It's a whole nother layer of complexity when it's other people's money. That's a great one. I love that one. It is. It is. Um, and you know, yeah. I, I mean, I donate to the causes I work for. And so like, I, I started in the nonprofit sector. You know, I started at IJM. I still donate to IJM today. I started, it came to Junior Achievement. I donate to Junior Achievement every year because that's I awesome. could never look a donor in the eye and ask them to support something that I can't support. And just it gives me pause every time we make decisions with how we're using our money. And I think of some of our longtime donors who have given to us for years and years, whether it's a corporation like RBC or an individual like Mr. DeCascaine. I like, could I go to Mr. DeCascaine's house, sit across the table from him and say, oh, yeah, thanks so much for that money. It paid for the staff to all go out for beers last Tuesday. No. <laughs> No, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. But if I can look, I could sit across the table from him and say, thanks for that money. We tried to do a program. This is what happened. This is what we learned. This is how we're going to make it better. And he would be like, okay, that's great. That's okay. 
I really, I really appreciate that context. And it kind of brings it down to almost a one-to-one versus, oh, oh, donors versus programs. It's like, no, these are individuals. These are people that believed enough to yeah. contribute. Let's be respectful enough to say, hey, if, if it didn't work the way we thought, here's what we learned and here's what we took away from it. And, and being as disciplined with that as just, you know, it's not binary. It's not, a, it's not a yes or it did or it didn't. Hopefully, if you do it right and think through it, something, there was a takeaway and there was a learning that goes forward. And I, wa- I uh, want to spend okay. every penny with the same intention, dedication, and discipline that it took to earn it. Mm. Well, so you're saving all the mic drop moments for the end of the podcast. It's like, boom, mic drop, boom, mic drop. These are great comments. <laughs> this I is know, important, but I, I, though. I, I it's so important it. as a fundraiser. And, and you know, I, we have a, a newer staff member. She's been with us for four or five months. Um, first job in the nonprofit sector. And her and I, I just took her for a coffee yesterday. Just, how's it going? What do you think? And, and just talking about these issues of like you're getting money from other people who and that's the thing in calgary too it almost comes right back to the beginning of the conversation we talked about the old school alberta advantage and like entrepreneurial spirit and like albertans love what we do like we have such incredible philanthropists and corporations that support our work because they truly believe that our students should have this education they should have this information. They should have the opportunities that it affords them. Um, and to have that level of faith and support from our community is an incredible blessing, but it's also an incredible obligation to make sure that we steward it appropriately. I really appreciate that. And we talked about a little bit of this offline. I want to circle back on it because you've kind of, it's sitting with me still. The challenges that you're seeing, like from a philanthropy perspective, philanthropic perspective, We've had a seven-year kind of a rough time in Alberta. Things are kind of turning around. The energy sector has got a little bit more swagger. But we talked about talent and volunteerism and, the, and Calgary being known or Western Canada being known for that. But also you said that there's some real challenges right now of for non-for-profits of finding people to support that that, that is maybe yeah. not what it was a few years back. Yeah, you know, the, the financial side, and it's always interesting in the nonprofit sector because I'm not a young I've been around for a while. What we see is we have these economic downturns, and then 18 months later, we see how it impacts the nonprofit sector. So 2008, 2009, Uh, um, nonprofits were fine in 2008, 2009, when everyone else was suffering. But 2010, nosedive. Um, Uh, We saw the December December 2015 nosedive in oil oil prices in the market, and it was December 2016 that we saw the correlating nonprofit dip financially. Um, and okay, so that's interesting. what we find is like typically nonprofits are very fortunate that we often have like multi-year agreements and donors that make sure they're taking care of us during hard times. But um, so even even in terms of the financial well-being of nonprofits right now, we're, we're actually pretty good as a sector. Um, but the government supports with regards to COVID are starting to dry up. Um, and and so hopefully we see that, um, you know, the, the price of oil is great. LNG is doing pretty good. Hopefully we see in the city mm-hmm. of Calgary, technology is doing amazing too, like not to it be is. outdone. Um, you know, so I, I think financially as a, as a whole, we're good. But where we're really, really suffering, and this is not just a junior achievement problem, I am really well connected with my peers in the sector, and we're all struggling, is volunteerism. Um, and, and I think there's a few reasons for that. We, we've been really fortunate in the city of Calgary that there's a, a spirit of corporate volunteerism where corporations come in as whole groups and make lunches for brown bagging for kids so that they have lunch at school that day. They come into a classroom with junior achievement and deliver the program as a group. They go into big brothers and big sisters as a group and do a project or Habitat for Humanity and do a build. Um, 
And we're, we're in this weird in between right now where there's a lot of work from home, there's a lot of flexible work arrangements. And so because they're not gathering corporately on a daily basis in their workplace, they're having a hard time figuring out how that translates then to corporate volunteerism. And so then the, the trickle down of their struggle is, to, is now falling to the nonprofit sector where we don't have, <laughs> the struggle on our end is then we don't have 25 people coming from a corporation to volunteer for a day and Habitat for Humanity doesn't have yeah, 25 that, that people. And, and so there's that struggle. And then the, the other side is the individual donors that used to just come and sign up on their own. Um, people are at different stages of their COVID journey in terms of how safe they feel getting out of the house. But also yep. there's this thing that happens in life where if you just haven't done something for two years, you kind of forget about it and you don't do it anymore. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, on all fronts. So it's, so it's, it's, that happens when you stop working out for a few weeks and then, man, it's totally. hard to get back to the gym. Right? It, and it's kind of that. And so on all fronts, we're being yes. hit where we're really, really mm. struggling. Like for it, the it first time in 12 years. It makes total sense to hear you years, un unfold it. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time in 12 years, we canceled a program delivery this week, 16 classrooms, and we could not find volunteers to get into the classroom. We've oh, so it's real. It's not years. just a vibe. It's not just something. No. It's something you're seeing that's actually impacting you. Never in 12 years. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. So let, let's make this an official. Let's make this an official shout out for volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Like you're right. I, I, I there's so much to be said of like we just get out of the habit of doing something. Yeah. And the last yeah. two years has blown up pretty much every habit and created a habit of not doing things. Actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> well, and I, and so like you know you were talking earlier about um, you've got an interview coming up with um, the new head of the Stampede and and how he worked for an mm -hmm. organization that had. 30,000 volunteers. Blows and my I'm mind. Like, Blows my mind. Where were those people? Let's get them. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> Immediately like, you see an opportunity. I love it. <laughs> like, okay, I got to talk to this guy. Um, but, you know, I'm a big believer that philanthropy is not just money. Um, philanthropy is time, talent, and treasure. And for people who can't always give of their financial means, because, I mean, for a lot of us, we're in that stage in life where we're, we're raising kids, we're paying mortgages, interest rates are going up, all those things. But there's still ways for you to do philanthropy, and, and that is giving your time and your talent. And I think that it's really important for people to um, see that as an opportunity to give back to their community and a way to help us grow um, past the pandemic. There's so much exciting stuff happening in our city right now. And I think volunteerism is a great way to be part of that energy. Boom, mic drop there. So many great statements, so many great perspectives. Melissa, I really, one, the passion you have for what you do and your organization and obviously what you dedicate your life to comes through loud and clear. And I really was happy to get reintroduced to your organization and get excited about it. And it's so funny, blast from the past. I was like, Junior Achievement, I didn't even know that was still. And clearly it is more than just a thing. You guys are a driving force. And, and I'll be biased, things that I value. And I'm like, if I would have had, I grew up in an entrepreneurial environment, so I was lucky to grow up by seeing it, but I wasn't formally taught it. So I'm slightly envious of some of these students and some of the groundwork that you're laying. Me for too. like. And plus, you said right at the beginning, about 85% you know, statistic around... Uh, Alberta uh, children seeing entrepreneurship or students seeing entrepreneurship as a viable option. Ten years from now, that's a whole different future we're looking at. I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we can see. You know, like we talked about this energy in the city this week. Obviously, with Inventures and Platform Calgary opened on Wednesday night, and I feel like there you were, must have been the only person in the city not there. Um, like it was. Oh, it's just crazy. ouch! Oh, the FOMO <laughs> is so bad. I know. Oh my goodness! I'm gonna call Terry up and just. Um, I'm gonna call Terry and apologize to him. Oh. <laughs> 
you know what? You can just say you were there because he wouldn't know. There were so many people. But I just think it's so exciting right now. And there's so much going on in the city that I, I just hope that we can find ways to make sure this isn't like a flash in the pan. Like this is like a catalyst, like, um, like a pivotal moment, I think, like an inflection point in our province and in our city. And it's like, which path are we going to take? Which way are we going to go? And, and I just hope that, um, like that as community builders for people like you and me, I hope that we can keep the energy going. Um, but also, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at sort of that, that overarching government piece, cause let's face it, they play a pretty big role, whether we like it or they not, do. they play a pretty they big do. role in what happens. I really hope that we can have, we can create an ecosystem that not just enables, but empowers like how we move forward. And I think about the volunteerism piece and right away my mind goes to like, if this is part of philanthropy, like what's the role for government to, to enable that and empower that a little bit more? You know, if there's tax incentives for donating, what, what could be an incentive for volunteerism? And so I, I just hope, and you know, we, talk, we talked about the entrepreneurship piece and how Sweden has it just so infused in their ecosystem. And like, what are we doing to make sure that we're really not just like sort of stepping back and letting it happen, but empowering it and making sure it happens really, really well. Um, and, and I know at Junior Achievement, we're having these conversations with a lot of people in the community and in government. And, and I'm sure, um, you know, the, the Business Council of Alberta and Adam and, and Scott, those guys are really focused on this as well. Um, just really hope we, we keep it going and don't just kind of let it die on the vine. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I'm very optimistic, the energy, and just even from starting the show a couple of years ago, the conversations that I was having till now, it's like people, and I am biased because people say, oh, what's your view on what's happening in Alberta? I say, incredibly positive because I talk to the people that are doing the thing, right? So my yeah. cognitive biases, I think, are leaning in the right in the right direction. But I love what you said about government and like how do, we, how do they reduce the friction and then I incentivize the behaviors we want if we look out far enough. Like you've got to extrapolate yeah. the graph of like this incentive today will create this movement and this group of individuals five to mm -hmm. ten years from now and I still think a lot of our organizations government struggle in that because it's just not the cycles they think in but that's yeah. where change comes from but, yeah. Yeah, totally totally like like K, K to six that you're st start them young yeah. you know what I mean like I love it yeah, <laughs> great. yeah. well and um, it's like let's not like Jay, raise these like yeah. entrepreneurs and like teach all these kids these amazing things and then have them go somewhere else like let's make sure this is where they want to stay right yeah, and quote unquote, force them to find an environment that is more conducive to what yeah. we've taught them to think. That's that's that's, a, that's an interesting balance. You yeah, be careful, yeah. careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> um, junior JA Southern Alberta JASAB.ca. Your website has tons of information on it. I was down the rabbit hole on a little bit this morning. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or have a chat, or if, if anybody wants to volunteer, what's the best way for them to reach out? You know, the best is just that website you just said, jasab.ca, and there's a volunteer tab and just sign up and it's, we train you, we teach you what you need to do. We get you in the classroom. It's so much fun. I was just in a grade four classroom this week and like best part of my spring meeting with all these, all these grownups and they're so boring. And then I get to go in and see these grade four <laughs> kids and they're like, they're so great. And it was so fun. Like, I just have to tell you, like, we talked about like, how do you make money? And these grade four kids are nine and 10, right? And they're like, well, you can sell stuff. You could babysit. And this one little boy goes, you could go gambling. <laughs> but, okay. This is great. Well, and right. then That's a real conversation. About, That's a, you're getting it out there. <laughs> and then we talk about how do you spend money? And they're like, oh, you can buy things. You can pay for this. You can save your money. Same little boy, taxes. Um, so some of these kids, they, they haven't figured out. <laughs> 
That's that's amazing. Look 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 out future. Yeah, uh, Melissa, so amazing to chat with you. Great to get to know you. Thanks for sharing so much about your organization and the awesome work you do. And I look forward to connecting again. And Calgary's a big small town. Now that we know each other, I'll run into you this week somewhere. Oh, that's yeah. how it goes. Well, and once you're in like the JA circles, you can't get out. Like it's like locked tight. So oh, you're I see. Probably oh, gonna once, have yeah, to MC check another in event any- soon. <laughs> I, you know, the answer is yes. Just reach out to me anytime awesome. and you can check in anytime you want, but you can never leave. I appreciate that. Awesome. Good to <laughs> Listen, know. Thanks Good to so know. much. <laughs> have you, have yourself a great weekend.